0: Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So for the recording's sake, we're in Philippians chapter 2, and that was verses 12 through 18. So we talked about this briefly, um, and the idea of what, what did Paul mean when he talked about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, I did just want to just because I rushed through it so quickly, um, read the quote um, from Wes um, as I as I found it very encouraging for us um, to understand what this doesn't mean and and therefore what it what it should mean for us. So this is a quote from the radically Christian blog. Um, the Greek word translated "work out" means to work in order to bring something to completion or fulfillment. Paul was telling them to strive to bring their salvation to its complete fulfillment in their lives. Essentially, he was reiterating what he said in Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Or, as he worded it to the Christians in Ephesus, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. And that's Ephesians 4, verse 1. Interestingly, the context of all of these passages is Christian unity. So in other words, salvation is not worked out in our lives. It has not been completed in us until we are of one mind and spirit with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When there is grumbling or disputing in the church, that's when we need this admonishment to work out our salvation. That's when we need to be reminded, if there is any encouragement in Christ, then be of the same mind. Oops. Sometimes we emphasize the your own of this passage as if Paul was saying this is something each person must do on his or her own. That's ironic because the context is about Christian unity. Furthermore, all the verbs in this passage are plural, not singular. Paul is saying to this group, not to an individual. He's telling them that they have to do this on their own because he is not there to help them. So when we say to someone, well, you have to work out your own salvation and I have to work out mine, we are saying something completely different than Paul was saying. We work out our salvation collectively by being of one mind and humbly submitting to one another. This is not something that can be done individually. It can only be done in the context of a church family. So Paul did not want these Christians, any of them, uh, any of the Christians that throughout his journeys he helps, helped establish the, these churches, he didn't want them to be dependent on him. The, he didn't want their faith to be in him so that they fell apart whenever he wasn't around. Um, he wanted them to be able to uh, learn from the teachings, from the scriptures, from the traditions that he had handed down um, and the other apostles had so that they could then work out their their own salvation. Um, he said earlier in verse 12, As you have always obeyed, so now, um, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So he's like, look, you don't, you don't need me. I, I was being used to present the gospel to you, um, but their faith was not supposed to be in him. Can you guys think of uh, another passage? We briefly mentioned it last time. Um, another church where he had to admonish them not to put their faith in him or in other teachers. Corinthians. Right. So 1 Corinthians 1, um, he is saying, I I hear there are divisions among you and you're separating yourselves, dividing yourselves based on who taught you the gospel. And he said, that's that's foolishness. Uh, Paul was not crucified for you. Um, You weren't baptized in the name of Paul. And so he said, while I'm gone... Whether I'm there with you or I'm not, you all should be able to grow um, in your faith. Were there any other thoughts about this before we moved on through it? So let's talk about verse 16. He talks about holding fast to the word of life. And I want us to spend a little bit of time on this verse. What can we infer from the command of Paul's to hold fast to the word of life? It's really quick, but what can we imply from that? What are we supposed to do with that? The
1: the statement just before that... Uh, he uh, wants them to appear as lights in the world what would make them appear as lights in the world was the fact that they're holding fast the word of life I I think that they're trusting God they're doing what they know that God has said and that's, that's what they're living by and that's what they're teaching others to do
0: Right so the thing that they are holding fast to is not their word or their ideas their concepts but it's God's word of life right mm-hmm. and implied in that is that without these words we can't have life right <clears throat> the, the world is destined to die without these words what are the images that come to your mind with this idea of holding fast uh, uh, David and then Leah note for the
2: word fast saying or forth which is yes. kind of like you know, proclaiming, you know, teaching others, which goes right back to what you just said. Yes. Proclaiming that to the, to the world.
0: Right. Thank you for bringing that. Uh, so the way that this could be translated are two different ways. One is holding fast. Hang on to it and don't let it go. And the other one is, is holding forth. The, I, the idea of you have something, now spread it. Let other people know about it. Um, and I think, uh, I think we're, we're intended to, to imply both here. The gospel is not something that we find and we keep and we keep stored away and we never want to let it out. No. I mean, we, we have it and we appreciate it and enjoy it and benefit from it and then try to get it out to as many people as we can. Uh, Leanne?
3: Well, I think of Jesus as the Word. And so that makes me think He said, Abide in me and I will abide in you. Like, if you're not holding on to Him so tightly, you're actually abiding in Him. You're not going to do any of this successfully. So, like, I yeah. like that idea of holding fast because I picture this vine that it's Jesus, and I'm just to be living in, and I'm just holding on to it as tight as I can.
0: Yes, and that goes back to again, what is it that we're holding on to? It's not Paul, it's not the traditions of the Jews, it's not it, it's Jesus, right? And we are hanging on to that because we will be inundated with other doctrines, other teachers, other ideas that do not stem from Jesus. And they may sound good by themselves. They, they may seem believable at times. But he's saying, look, if you're holding fast to Jesus, you understand what the authentic thing is. Don't be swayed by these, by these counterfeits. Um, one of the ways that he referred to this as, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, he talked about not... Uh, he said, growing so that you aren't tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, right? So when I, when I read holding fast, I think of an anchor. It's something that will keep you grounded, keep you in the same spot, because there are going to be things that are going to try to move you around, shift you around from, from the truth. I think we also need to understand, so I'm going to go off on a, on a slight tangent here, but it's, it's, in, it's incredibly important in our culture today, that if Paul was able to say in the first century, hold fast to this thing, in First Peter 1 and verse 3 it says that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Anyone who proposes to have new later revelation after this is not holding fast to the same thing. So Paul is saying what we have now today, this gospel of Jesus, it doesn't need revisions, it doesn't need updating, it doesn't need new revelations. You have what you need, now hang on to it. And that should be contrasted with, I, I, I'm, I'm going to, to use an example um, simply because uh, Karen and I have done a good bit of study on this and have, have spoken with some Mormons before. But there's an example there where a, a group of people claimed that they received a new revelation from God. And in all sincerity, I mean, the, the people that we have studied with have been very, very nice and very sincere um, and they sincerely believe that a new revelation was, was given to them. The trouble, the trouble is found in that when that book was first published in 1830, it has undergone nearly 4,000 different changes to, to the text. That's, that's less than 200 years. And in less than 200 years, they have had to update things within that document um, one of, the, one of the, the, the things that jumped out to me the most was the original document claimed um, <laughs> that the curse that was given to Cain when he killed Abel, their original document said that he was cursed with dark skin, which then painted the rest of that message basically saying that dark-skinned people uh, were carrying the guilt of, of Cain after the civil rights movement, that got updated and changed, um, but it took them nearly a decade after the civil rights movement to go. Maybe we should maybe we should find a, a, a different way of explaining that. Um, it also prohibited um, because of that. It prohibited them from uh, any one of dark skin. Um, ...to participating in any of their church leadership... ...and they finally had to update their... ...the revealed message from God... um, ...changed based on the culture. Another prominent change that went throughout that document... ...within the first hundred years of it... ...was that when it was originally written... ...there were passages that, that coincided with the New Testament... ...that talked of Jesus as God... ...that he was one with the Father... But after a while, their group decided that they didn't actually believe that Jesus was divine, that he was, he was the son of God, but that didn't make him equal to God, which, again, is problematic based on what we've just been reading in Philippians chapter 2. So they had to go back and change dozens of passages that talked about Jesus um, as God. They added the son of dozens of times to make it Jesus the son of. God to remove his divinity in, in their text God's true word of life, the thing that we're supposed to be holding fast to, has not needed updating or re- revision based on the culture and it won't so in 2000 years we're discovering and have discovered manuscripts from, from within a generation of these, these letters and we're simply translating them as they were and we don't need to change them because America has decided that something is now right or wrong. Um, what are your all's thoughts about this? And and what are lessons that, that we should learn about Paul's admonition here?
4: It's
0: like the biggest class we've had thus far and the fewest hands. Yes, Karen.
4: Well, do you think that that's
5: what one application of what it might mean at the end where it says that in the day of christ i may be proud that i did not run in vain or labor in vain you know people that hold to teach teachings that have veered off of the truth um they're working really hard they're evangelizing really hard but their labor is in vain if it's not the truth do you can that's to an application of this or Yeah, I think so. One of many.
0: Yeah, I, I think here Paul is basically saying, Look, I came through and I gave you the truth. Don't trade it for something else later on because then the work that I've done for you will have been have been worthless. I gave you what you needed. Jesus, God, the Spirit, has given you what you needed, but don't don't trade it in for something newer and flashier and, and more relevant to your culture. Um, because I don't want my work to have been useless. We have to remember that that like we live in a culture, and it's not new to this generation, uh, but we treat it like it's new, that our culture wants us to become more inclusive. Our culture wants us to, to accept more people and, and be less inclined to to condemn anyone for their lifestyles or, or choices and it is now seeping into the church where there are passages there are sections of the gospels of, of the epistles that are not considered inclusive anymore we are never going to be successful in exposing the darkness if we act like the darkness so we don't need to make this seem more appealing to more people it is It is the differences of the gospel that will attract people to Christ's church. So there are going to be people of of different backgrounds, of cultures, of languages. The impressive thing about God's word and God's church is that not that we can all just accept everybody and not require change, but it's that Christ has presented something that can change us all to conform to him and not to conform to our culture. Were there any other hands before we move on? Yeah, Chris.
5: Are there different translations of
0: the Book of
5: Mormon? I mean, do they do any no. of the... Uh, I mean, it hasn't been around long enough, you know, to get new English and... Let's say.
0: <laughs> no, no. So the Book of Mormon is written in Old English. So it sounds like you're reading the King James Version. So there are still <laughs> these and thous, and okay. and they they will not allow it to, to be updated. So They're, the only
5: thing I would say is to be careful that we would say we've never had any changes because they would look at our translations. Yes,
0: computers. they would.
5: And I would agree and say, yeah, but let's look at the content of that.
6: So just to be yes, absolutely, clear.
0: no, absolutely. And and the difference is the difference is we can with the New Testament and the Old Testament go back to the manuscripts in the original languages that they were written and say, is this an accurate translation or not? Okay. The problem with the Book of Mormon is there are no such manuscripts the golden tablets in which they were translated magically disappeared after Joseph Smith translated them. Mm -hmm. So there's no way to verify. Mm -hmm. And so when the book got updated, there was no way to go back to the original documents or tablets and and decide whether those were genuine or not. Luke?
6: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when you were bringing it up that Chris was thinking. And part of the difference is, too, because I went through and I took a parallel of how the Book of Mormon developed and contrasted that with how the New Testament was developed, and there's a lot of crucial differences. Like the differences that we're talking about is that scribes, when the New Testament was made, scribes made scribal errors, and most of those are just goofy dumb. And the vast majority are like, okay, you, you put a day instead of a chi, and day means an, and chi means an, who cares? Or minor spelling errors, and like, even errors you have to put kind of put in quotes because they didn't have standardized spelling back then. But, like that's the sort of thing we're talking about. We're not saying things like one said, hey. Black people are fine, and the other one said they're not. Okay, that's not that's right. not the same thing. Right. Nor was it like an official change that was sanctioned by that organization. It was just some scribe made a mistake. And some of them some scribes did change make changes that they intended to make, but it wasn't an official thing. It was just some guy somewhere did, and the vast majority of the manuscripts do not that. That's different than when you get back to the Book of Mormon, right? Correct. And not only that, there's all sorts of weird stuff that's different, too, about how that message developed, where, you know, he says one thing, and then doesn't really, he says it happened in the past, Joseph Smith, that is, doesn't tell anybody, and then years go by, and he starts to reveal it. Well, that's different than Jesus, who taught the message to a bunch of people. Once you make it public, you can't pull the words back. Right. Same thing with Paul. Paul didn't say, hey, I got this revelation 35 years ago, I'm going to start preaching it now. I mean, he went out straight away. Correct. As much writing it. So at that point, it's fixed.
0: Right. Yeah. So what you're saying is is according to uh, according to their history, Joseph Smith actually received his first revelation when he was a teenager, but didn't start writing about it. I think until his 30s, like early 30s, or something, yeah, something like, like that. that. It
6: was a while.
0: And that's that. That isn't how has how God's message has ever been presented. Normally, he expects his prophets to go out and preach when he gives them the word. Um,
4: fire in the bones if you don't <laughs> uh,
0: yeah that's what they say and so yeah and, and again I'm not, I'm not giving that example so that we can just harp on the book of Mormon um, all class but I want us to be equipped with these sorts of answers when people want to equate this with other writings now the book of Mormon is not the only one that has claimed to be a revelation from God but then needed revision based on the culture that's not how God's word works God's word works um, because it works throughout time and throughout generations and throughout cultures. Um, and so th- just the admonition here to these Christians and to us is is get the word, find the truth, and hold on to it. And don't let the culture, don't let different teachers, don't let uh, people that you know try to sway you from it. Um, so let's talk about this This idea here where Paul says in verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So he's kind of going back to that conundrum that he had back in chapter 1. I may live and I may die and there are benefits to both and I'm not sh- I'm not quite sure which I would prefer right now because if I die, I get to go and be with Christ. If I stay, I get to benefit you. He says in verse 17, e- even if even if I have to die, even if I have to be poured out as a drink offering, what was the attitude that he had? I've got to keep this from happening. That would be the worst thing ever.
2: I rejoice.
0: I am glad if my death can be like, like an offering poured out on their faith. Uh, what, what are some practical ways that we might demonstrate this attitude? Have we ever considered actions where we, ju- we feel like we are being poured out, maybe not to death, but we're being poured out at times in service? And What are some practical ways that that may look like?
1: Bob? I don't
5: know if I can do this justice, but we want to be careful on not place it to where it's a negative thing because it's a positive thing. It is a positive thing. It's a blessing to be given an opportunity to empty ourselves for the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> just, I think, in any, any circumstance where... I think I think we kind of go beyond this when we grow and get older. But I, I rewind and, and go back and, and think about I've got this battle going on with me, and it's it's my flesh wanting to do what I want to do with my time and my resources mm-hmm. versus the needs I see in front of me, and there's a battle that goes on. Yeah. We we work towards <clears throat> that becomes an automatic response. Uh, we we he who loses his life will find it. We just we just say it's obvious. We go this way. That's the way Paul was. Obviously, uh, he he sought it and he he embraced this being poured out because he he knew that's how he experienced the grace of God and the blessings of God is by emptying himself. I don't know if that in any way no i, I
0: mean, anything, no i I find that very helpful i mean it's it is a change of mindset, isn't it the The New Testament prompts us to share in his sufferings that's that's actually specifically part of Paul's calling, right when he was called on that road, Jesus wanted him to know how much he was going to suffer. And yet I think too often we try to find a way to serve without suffering. I don't like to I don't like to suffer. I don't like to feel inconvenienced or harmed. So if I can find a way to serve that it that it doesn't put me out like normally, that's that's the route that I want to take. But the apostles in, in Acts chapter five, you remember they were taken before the council. And uh, someone had been healed, and that obviously caused a big ruckus, and they said, stop preaching in this name. And when they were beaten, they left the, the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Um, not that I'm encouraging us to go out and find someone to beat us. <laughs> But I think too often we are, we are trying to find a way to keep the suffering from happening. So we, we relish in our freedoms and we don't, we don't want our freedom of religion to, to ever be taken from us. That's not the fight that these apostles were fighting. They were out trying to get the gospel in front of people who needed it, which was everyone. And when they were persecuted, they considered that an honor because it made them more like Jesus. Jesus had to go through those things, and they were honored to share in that way. Did I see a hand, Sarah?
4: I'm, I think I'm confused. Um, so does, this, does verse 17 not, the being poured out as a drink offering, not go back to running in vain and toiling in vain? Or am I not? In what way? Um, cause I always looked at it as he's saying, you know, even if you don't hold fast and I have toiled in vain on your behalf, I'm still going to rejoice because I held firm kind of thing. Or am I, have I made a connection there that is only paragraphs and not reality?
0: <laughs> um, I honestly, that's not the way that, that I read it because I don't, I don't know why Paul would rejoice and be glad that his work among them was useless. Um, right. And, I, and, and based on what we read in chapter 1, Paul believed that there would be a benefit in his living, but there would also be a benefit um, in his death. He believed that, that, here in 17, he believed that even in his death, it would it would benefit their faith. Um, so, no, I I personally don't put them together, but... Yeah, if you look
2: at the end of verse 17, <coughs> I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So, you know, them falling away would not fit in with that.
0: Yeah, so I I would say almost like the, the second half of 16 could almost be put in parentheticals. Because, you know, 14 through 16, do all these things without grumbling or questioning so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, so these good things will happen, so that you can stand firm, be a light unto the darkness, um, holding fast to the word of life, so that what I did among you wouldn't be worthless. So that even if I am poured out as a drink offering, um, I'm going to be glad and rejoice because you are holding fast, because you are being a light in the darkness. Um, at least that's the way that I read it. Luke.
6: So I, I think I was reading it, if I'm understanding what you're saying, in a similar way. Because I was looking at run in vain. I mean, he's, he's working with them. Like, I'm bringing to bring you in. I mean, he uses this phrase, running in vain, in other places yeah. as well. Uh, and he says here, the drink offering, and the drink offering was added to another. So it wasn't the main offering, it was added to another offering. And you can see that here, because he says a drink offering on the sacrifice. Okay, so there's two things. There's his drink offering and then there's the sacrifice. In other cases, he uses, he's referring to Jesus being the main sacrifice that he's added on top. In this case, he's obviously referring to that because he says in the service of your faith. Mm -hmm. So he sees it being added. So it does seem like there's this sense of unity which fits what we keep talking about throughout this context that is all working together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could see it. I could see it both ways. Um... I think from 17 and 18, the, the point that Paul is making is that, that he rejoices even if even if he has to be used all the way up. If it can benefit somebody else, whether in life or in death, it can benefit the faith of somebody else. Um, that's not something to be sad or upset or discouraged about. That's something to rejoice in. Uh, Boyd.
1: Uh, one, one writer sees this as Paul being the priest offering to God the faith of the Philippians. Hmm. And once that that being the main offering here looks like, um, uh, he is is then a part of that sacrifice too. He's being poured out.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I yeah I, I love I love the visuals and yeah, there, there's some really good things here as far as tying in Old Testament sacrificial uh, imagery here, which I, I believe that they would appreciate. Obviously, the, the Philippians here were not primarily Jewish, but they could understand the idea of sacrifices, and they could understand uh, what would have been done here, and that Paul is saying, I'm, I'm willing to, to let that be done, and I'm going to rejoice uh, in the fact um, that he allows it to be done. Paul recognized that, that his life was not his own. Right? It wasn't something that it, he valued above all else, that I'm going to serve, um, but only up until that, this particular point. No, his, his life belonged to Christ, and if it was going to be used in that way, um, it was Christ's to use, and it wasn't his own. Did I see Leanne? Um, I'm
3: probably going to get this quote wrong. But Francis Chan said in a book that I read that you have to be willing to step out in faith in such a way that if God doesn't come through, you're in trouble. And I think that is the idea of being poured out. You're willing to give everything that you have, knowing that, just like it says in 13, that it's God who works
0: in you. Yeah. No, I really do like that. I really do like that. Uh, the idea that we are going to accomplish these things on our own merits and our own strength and our own faith, no, like, no, we're not. We're not. We do We do need God to, to obviously make this something worthwhile. Uh, one more, and then we'll move on.
4: And, and like the... The practical way that I've always seen this is that, if, even if, if I, you know, spread the gospel, and you are converted, but then eventually you don't hold fast to that, it's still not a vain act that I have done. So even if, um, you know, even if you teach someone and they're faithful and then they fall away, it wasn't vain for you to have taught them. And Correct, and so that's the connection that was kind
0: of. Yeah, I could I could see that. I could yeah. see that.
4: Apparently, we need more reading on
0: this. <laughs> I I always encourage more reading on this later. Uh, let's do verses nineteen through thirty, and do we have a volunteer uh, to read that? Going once before it goes to Sarah. Oh, we see a couple of hands here. Is that okay, Sarah? Can we that's do? Fine, yes. Can we do David?
2: But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see them again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me.
0: So he, he takes a shift here, makes this a bit more personal, and he mentions these two individuals and remember uh, he, he does this several times throughout the book, using people including himself as examples. so what benefit can we take from Paul's mention of Timothy and Epaphroditus? What kind of attitudes did they have that we should emulate Katrina I object less
3: important. There, like I felt the him and his offering, his self and their offering.
0: Yes. Um,
3: when you first were talking about that, and maybe just the phase that I'm in, that I was thinking of parenthood. I didn't realize how selfish I was, so I'm a parent, and how much sacrifice that thing involved.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I think it is well placed, these examples here. Uh, because he he gives these two examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus who are willing to be used up, right? Um, Especially Epaphroditus, used up almost to the point of death. That somewhere along the lines in in the service that that he was providing, um, he became ill um, and his life was in danger. Um, and, And we should be like these men. We should be those that can be used. I mean, Timothy here... Timothy is described as someone who has proven worth in verse 21, um, and he's contrasted with those um, who seek their own interests, not of those of Christ Jesus. This is this is someone. <laughs> who is, is willing to do these things, not because it's really going to benefit him. That's not the primary objective. He's doing these things and serving Paul and serving these Christians uh, because it's a benefit to them, and he's willing to be used up. He has, in verse 20, uh, genuine concern for their welfare. And we've talked about this uh, many times, that in the midst of our own trials and and discouragements, the best thing that we can do is look out and see how we can serve other people. And so Timothy didn't have it easy. Um, And Timothy was, you know, what we know about him, Um, he was willing to accompany Paul through some of his incredibly challenging journeys. Um. And yet, be one that that Paul says he could he could rely on, um, someone that has had proven his worth. What do we know about Epaphroditus? Did anyone do any research on this individual? It shouldn't have taken you long. <laughs> so he's only mentioned one other time, and it's in this letter, and it's in chapter four and verse eighteen. <laughs> Paul says that I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So we were explaining this to our kids, you know, the way that these letters were transferred was not through the postal service, right? They put a stamp on it. it, But it was given to an individual who then had to travel that entire distance to then hand the letter and usually they would wait around for a response so that they could then hand a response back. It sounds that, uh, it appears here, that Epaphroditus came with news of the um, the Christians at Philippi and a gift from them so that they provided some things that were helpful to, to Paul. And he brings those things to Paul um, not only... Not only just to provide for his physical needs, but to give, the, give him news uh, of how they were doing, which was an encouragement. And it seems that somewhere along that, the, 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 the best I can read it, somewhere along that journey, he became ill. Um, because it says that in verse 27, back in chapter 2, um, that indeed he was ill. Uh, I'm sorry, let's let's back up. Verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphras, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger, right? So he was the messenger that they used to bring him news, and a minister to my need, right? So he brought gifts. He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because he was ill, right? He was ill, but he was distressed because he heard that That they had heard of his illness, and he wanted them not to be anxious or worried. Like, think of that. Think of that. Normally, when we're sick, we want people to know that we're sick so that, you know, they can appreciate how bad it is. Um, He wanted them to know that he was now better. Right? He didn't want them to be anxious about him anymore. So he couldn't send a quick text, he couldn't send them an email, but he wanted news to get back to them as quickly as possible, and Paul saw the benefit of that, so he wanted to send Epaphroditus back. Somewhere in these travels, he had become ill, he says in verse 27, near to death. God had showed him mercy, and not only on him, but on me also, Paul says, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So, he was eager to send him back, that they may rejoice at seeing him again, and that Paul, again, would be less anxious. Again, the concern that that these individuals had for others, Paul did not want them worrying and anxious, and so it would set his mind at ease to know that their mind was, was at ease. So he says, Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. There's nothing in this section to indicate that Timothy or Epaphroditus were necessarily preachers or teachers. Now we know, uh, based on the first and second Timothy, that that was something that Timothy did. But as far as we can tell of Epaphroditus, he was a messenger. He was a letter carrier. And yet he was to be treated with honor. There are times where we are called to service... And it's not anything public or flashy or or attention-getting, but it is service that is beneficial to others in their service to Christ, and we are to honor those people. They are worthy of our honor. And so whether it's something big or small, whether it's something public or private, when we are serving others, um, and when others are serving the church, uh, they are worthy of honor. I do just want to point out, did anyone do do any research? I didn't ask you to, but the name Epaphroditus? So apparently that name is of pagan origin. It actually means belonging to Aphrodite. Epaphroditus. Um, and yet, this person who was born in pagan beliefs, so much so that his name carries that, was willing to put off the name of this, this goddess in his life. That the power of gospel um, was such that this man is set free from the dead paganism that he was raised in and was willing to, to bear a different name in, in a way. What what other lessons, I, I've got a, one more here, but what other lessons are we meant to take from Timothy and Epaphroditus? We spent so much time in the first half of, of this chapter. I, I want to give these men their proper due. Is there anything else that jumped out to you in, in 19 through 30? And how does it tie into what we've already uh, talked about in, in the beginning of chapter 2? Brad?
3: I think it's interesting that um, verse 30 says he almost died for the work of Christ um, and other than bringing Paul a letter uh, and and some support or whatever a gift from Philippi I, I don't know what he would have been doing so right. um, it seems like that was the work of Christ and yes. he, was, he said he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So, um, you know, it just reminded me that Jesus said, you know, don't fear the one who can destroy the body. but fear the one who can destroy the soul. And here, this guy is just carrying a letter. Yeah. And got sick. And Paul says he risked his life for the work of Christ. Yeah. Um, So, um, yeah. I I don't want to draw any immediate application there but I think there's a lot of application to be drawn.
0: Right. The the idea that so, sometimes we we tend to to value service in a way that I don't think is is biblical, right? We put more emphasis and more praise typically on the public forms of service. Um and that's uh, I, don't, I don't believe that's the way that God views it. We do that with sin too, don't we, right? we? We like to put a hierarchy on the levels of sin and God treats it all equal. Paul is speaking of what this man was willing to do, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It does sound like that. That's all he was doing, right? Carrying a letter and carrying supplies. And carrying news, right? And, and that was incredibly beneficial to Paul. And so what can we do in our lives? Um, I remember in the, in the early days of COVID, like how many people were dropping things on porches? How many people were texting and saying, what do you need? I'm at the store and there's toilet paper here. So do you need some, right? And something as simple as, I'm just going to make sure you've got toilet paper in your house because you may not feel comfortable going out right now. And that's service. Did I see a hand back here, Lloyd?
1: You mentioned tying it into the beginning of chapter 4, how it relates to the beginning. It seems to relate in uh, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Yes. Uh, and so it seems to highlight that these men were doing what he was mentioning earlier in
0: the book. Yes, and so much so that it wasn't just make sure you're taken care of and also take care of others, but it was take care of others even if it means that you're going to give up of yourself, right? To even to even this extent. And so how how many times are we how many times are we discouraged from serving because we just don't feel like it? Or, and I'm not, I'm not trying to devalue, like, look, if you've got COVID, stay home. If you're, if you're sick, like, stay home. Don't push yourself through illness to the point of death. But how many times do we let physical pains and, and inconveniences say, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll serve tomorrow? Instead, let's ask, how can I still serve, even if I am stuck at home with COVID? Who can I text today and just encourage them? Who can I, you know, send a message to? Um, finding ways to look past our, our physical inconveniences, even our illnesses. Um, yes, Brad.
3: And uh, maybe to go one step further, kind of where I was thinking was um, how how often do we let fear of some harm prevent us from doing what might be the right thing to do right um, and we're afraid of what might happen if we if we do that um, right whereas uh, Aphrodite sounds like um, he was willing to to push through and do that even though there was a lot to be afraid of
0: right where was Paul when he wrote this letter Prison. in Rome? Rome? Mm-hmm. Philippi and Rome are not close. <laughs> They're not close. You're talking hundreds of miles, right? And he was willing to make that trek for the for the service of one man. Um, and that's that's a powerful example. All sorts of hands here. Sarah, real quick.
4: Um, and then, because he was willing to do this, Epaphroditus brought back what we call the letter to the Philippians, which... Now we can benefit from... I mean, he could have been just bringing a personal message there and back, but as it turns out, what he ended up... The work part of the work of Christ that he did was to literally spread the, a piece of the gospel to everyone else. Yeah,
0: thousands of years later, right? We are benefiting from the work of, of this individual. Phil?
5: I was going to build on Brad's comment about the fear of something preventing us. I think even the fear of... In your interjecting ourselves in other people's lives, uh, I'm not always comfortable in doing that. I think sometimes when we see that they need help, we need to interject ourselves, even if they don't want it. Sometimes. Mm.
0: Yeah. You know, I think about what, uh, Paul's journey to Jerusalem. If you if you all remember multiple times he received visions from God or people prophesied saying, if you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to go well for you, right? Prison awaits you. Persecution awaits you. And Paul was willing to keep going, knowing that harm was going to come to him in some form, but believing that that was was what he was called to do and he was willing to put himself for that. Any other questions or comments? Did I miss uh, Katrina?
4: Paul was
3: talking about the church being like the body um, in three And he says, but God is so composed of the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacks it, and that there may be no division in the body that the members may have the same care for one another. So it's not just about care, but it goes back to the idea of unity as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because in our service to each other, we are benefiting the body so that the body can do what it's meant to do, right? We are not, our primary objective is not to make sure that we all get along, right? We all get along so that we as a collective can do the work of the Lord and, and bring more people to him. And so, by serving others, and and Sarah, you brought up such a great point, Epaphroditus, by serving Paul, by benefiting the Philippians, he actually helped the kingdom to grow by allowing us to share in this letter. So, um, we're going to do chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. David's going to lead us in that study on Wednesday. Thank you.